Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11. But we're going to be in three passages today. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11 is where we are, going to, we are going to begin. That's on page 860 in the Pew Bible. So there's a Pew Bible under your chair. And if you look at that one, you might, you'll find Matthew chapter 7. Like John Lee said earlier, the, the number 7 is the chapter number. Uh, verse 7 is a small number, okay? So Matthew 7, 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Father, we pray now with your word here open before us that you would teach us to ask, that you would teach us to seek, and that you would teach us to knock. We pray, Lord, that as you teach us these things, that we would receive, that we would find, and that the door would be open to us. We pray that we would experience your goodness. Father, we dedicate to you not only this next hour, but the next, this next year. We pray that you would cause us to be more prayerful in our lives than we have ever been in the past, in this 2018. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Happy New Year. It's a new year. It's the first Sunday of the new year, and so we're going to take communion like we do every first Sunday of the month. Have you set any goals this year or any New Year's resolutions for your life? I looked up online yesterday, um, quirky or unusual New Year's resolutions, and here's what one website said. Here's one unusual suggestion. Set your sights on a world record. With lots of diverse and bizarre records there for the taking, this may not be as difficult as you think. Perhaps you could burn off some calories with the world's longest kiss, the longest time spent bouncing on a bouncy, ca- on a bouncy castle, or the fastest one-mile run completed wearing swim fins. Yes, these are all real-world record titles if you fancy your chances. You might accomplish one of these this year. Now, some goals like those have small consequences. If you don't accomplish the one mile with swim fins on or two miles, if the one-mile record's taken, you can't break that one. Um, if you don't accomplish that goal, there's not that, it's not that big of a consequence. Now, other goals you might have and other actions we could have have actually bigger consequences, sometimes even eternal consequences. There are opportunities God has for us this year in 2018. God has not taken you home yet. If you're a Christian, this world is not your home. We live for the world to come, and you are not home yet. God has kept you here still as a sojourner, as a stranger in a strange land as you travel on your way home. Why has he kept you here? Well, we know from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he still has work for you to do. 
this year in 2018. He has work to do in your life. He has work to do through you to other people in 2018. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you have work to do in 2018, maybe not all of 2018 if God takes you this year, but at least now you have some more work to do and that's why you're still here. So are you ready? Are you excited? Ready or not, here 2018 comes. And if you're a Christian, one of our goals, and maybe not our goal, but one of our desires, our deep desires, is that we really want to enjoy God and do great things with him and for him to others this year. We want to bless others this year. That's true of every true Christian. First John says, if you don't love, then um, you're not of God. For everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay, and so we, we love others. We want to bless others. That's just true if you're a Christian. Here's the problem. The problem is that we need God's help. And we learn from this passage, ask and you will what? Receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. So we need God's help. The good news is that God wants to help us. The problem is we don't pray. We don't pray as much as we should. We neglect to pray. I I, I wrote this question down and I felt so, I I, I shudder to think about the answer to this question. Um, But we just must rest in God's grace. But here's the question. How many prayer opportunities have we passed up last year? And what are the consequences? What, what, What would have happened? What would God have done in answer to our prayers last year that we could have prayed and had the opportunity to pray last year, but we passed up those opportunities. Now, we feel guilty that we don't pray as often as we should. It's easy to make people feel guilty. Just ask them about their prayer life, right? But part of the problem is we don't know how to change. We, we keep wanting to change, and every New Year's comes around, we have different resolutions or different things like that, and we don't know how to change. And so the question that lingers in our mind is, will our prayerlessness win Or will we pray more in 2018? Will our prayerlessness win or will we pray more in 2018? I pray that I can be helpful to you today here. Um, I hope here's some ways I can be helpful. One is I struggle with prayer too. I think 2016 was a really good year. It was one of my better years in terms of just communing with the Lord. 2017, not so much. I did struggle more with prayer last year than I did even in 2016. And um, so I, I do struggle as well. I, I have missed many opportunities myself in prayer. Um, that's, so that's one encouragement is that we can all grow from this. And I thought about this morning, Lord, why do I struggle so much in prayer? Why do I struggle so much with different sins in my life? And I thought, we need to keep fighting it. I need to learn how to fight. But two, I can also help others who struggle with the same things. Uh, m- maybe a better reason that I can be helpful is that the Bible has wisdom, right? The Bible tells us what prayer is how we should pray, and why we should pray. That's what we're going to look at today. And then at the end, I do want to help by closing with two baby steps to help you pray more in 2018. And the baby steps are pause and pray. Pause frequently, or pause and participate. Pause frequently and participate joyfully. And we'll we'll talk about what that means in a second. Okay, but the main idea, it's here in your notes, the main goal, think about the what, the how, and the why of prayer to more deeply enjoy talking to God in 2018. That's what I want for you. I want your joy in God to go deeper this year. I want you to talk to God more this year and enjoy your time with God 
um, by thinking about the what, why, how, and why of prayer. So those are our three questions for our sermon this morning. What is prayer? How should we pray? And why should we pray? All right, let's look at the first one here. What is prayer? Now, prayer, I'm not going to use any Bible verses for this, not because the Bible just assumes the definition. The Bible just says pray, pray without ceasing, right? It just tells you to pray, ask God, but it doesn't say there's no textbook definition. The Bible is not a dictionary. It's oftentimes a story, and there's letters, and there's other kinds of um, genres here, but it's not a dictionary per se. So what is prayer? Wayne Grudem, theologian Wayne Grudem says, prayer is, I like his definitions in his systematic theology, so simple. Prayer is personal communication with God. Right? You're not to be, it's not profound. It doesn't have to be profound. The simplicity maybe is profound. Prayer is personal communication with God. John Calvin says, prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Talking to God, communicating with God personally is the chief way you express that you actually believe in God. Michael Reeves, commenting on this, says, in other words, talking about John John Calvin's definition, in other words, prayer is the primary way true faith expresses itself. It's the primary way. This also means, this is convicting, this also means that prayerlessness is practical atheism, demonstrating a lack of belief in God. If prayer is the chief expression of faith, our prayerlessness is a lack of what? Faith. And a lack of faith that God exists is atheism. So it's practical atheism when we find ourselves prayerless. Now, we have a Bethany Baptist Church catechism that some of our parents are using to catechize their children. And catechism is basically questions and answers to teach basic theology. And so in in it, we have one of the questions, which is, what is prayer? I looked at the catechism question because I'm slowly revising the catechism, and I changed the answer. So here's my, here's my answer to what prayer is, okay? So what is prayer? Here's my answer now. And this is taken from Tim Keller and a few other people, but prayer is, well, particularly Tim Keller and Michael Reeves, prayer is participating. I changed it from what we said last night, kids, just so you guys are aware. Prayer is participating in a conversation that the triune God has started through his word and grace. Prayer is participating in a conversation that the triune God has started through his word and grace. That's a short definition. There's a second part to it. I'll say it here. Don't worry about writing it because we're not going to talk about it this morning. Uh, But let me read the whole thing. This is going to be the catechism question, at least as it's stated now. Prayer is participating in a conversation that the triune God has started through his word and grace communicating our hearts and minds in praise, petition, lament, confession, and thanksgiving. Those are just the different categories of prayer. Sometimes you praise God. Sometimes you ask God for things. That's petition. Sometimes you lament because you're just crying out to God in pain. Why, Lord? How is this happening? And you're just expressing your grief to God. That's lament. Confession, confessing your sins, confessing your weaknesses to God. We had a prayer of confession that John led us in. And then thanksgiving, praising God or thanking God for the deeds that he is bringing into our lives. Those are different ways of praying, but all of that is communicating our hearts and our minds to God. But that communication is us participating in a conversation that the triune God himself has started through his word and grace. All right, so that's the definition of prayer. Michael Reeves says, quote, and here's one way I hope what we've seen will improve your quiet times. So here's one way to improve your prayer life. 
When you default to thinking of prayer as an abstract activity, a thing to do, the tendency is to focus on the prayer as an activity, which makes it boring. You don't have a boring prayer life or prayer times where it's boring sometimes? When you think of it just as an activity, it makes it boring. Instead, focus on the one to whom you're praying. If you are on a phone conversation with a dear friend, you're reconnecting with a friend. If you are on a date with your spouse or hanging out with one of your dearly lo- dear loved ones, you're not focusing on your words. You're not focusing on your tone. You're not focusing on how long you're talking. Who are you focusing on when you're spending time with somebody? The person, right? If you connect with an old family friend, a dear friend from childhood, and you, you spend time reconnecting, you're not focused on your words. You're focused on them. And the words are the, the bridge to getting to them, but you're not focusing on the words. When we pray to God, oftentimes we're saying, oh, I want to get better at prayer. So instead of praying five minutes, I'm going to pray 10 minutes. Or I'm going to pray 20 minutes. And we're focusing on the time. That would be like me saying, I want to improve my marriage, so I just need to keep, uh, you know, if someone says, hey, PJ, how's your marriage with Francis? 30 minutes. That's my answer. 30 minutes a day. That doesn't say whether our marriage is good or bad, right? 30 minutes a day of talking. So, is the conversation meaningful? Are you sharing your hearts? Are you caring for each other? Are you edifying each other? Is the truth of God's word informing the conversation? We don't measure the health of our conversations by merely the time we spent talking, right? But we often do that with prayer. Oh, I, I, I have to pray with this structure. Not that structures are wrong, not that time limits aren't good or bad. It's just if you assess your health that when you're focusing on that, you, you're missing the point. Prayer is participating in a conversation that the triune God has already started in his word and grace. All right, so that's the what of prayer. Second question, how should we pray? How should we pray? And you see here in your notes, I have two ways to pray. Pray personally and pray corporately. Pray personally or individually and pray corporately with others. When I say pray personally, I have two ways. Pray at every prompting and pray um, at your appointed times. Or you could say spontaneous and structured. Pray at every prompting to pray throughout the day, and then pray structured or scheduled times of prayer. Just like, so at every prompting, what do I mean by that? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing, or as the CSB says, I'm still getting used to the CSB too, just so you guys know. It says, pray constantly, pray unceasingly, pray without stopping, okay? Ephesians 6.18 says this, pray, you know Ephesians 6, right? Um, Put on the whole what? armor of God. It talks about the different armors, uh, parts of the armor of God. And then at the very end, it says in 6.18, pray at all times. How often should you pray? At all what? At all times. In the spirit, with every prayer and every request. And, this is good for us when we pray, stay alert. <laughs> Oftentimes we, we start to get drowsy in our prayer, right? So pray at all times in every, with every prayer and request. Pray in the spirit and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So pray at all times. Pray spontaneously. Pray at every prompting. Every time you have a feeling to pray, you have a desire to pray, even if it's a 2% desire to pray, take that desire and just pray a short prayer. Pray throughout your day. God prompts us to pray through trials and situations. This is why we say, this is why I'm defining prayer as participating in a conversation that the triune God has started. Because you're not the one who starts the conversation. 
You're participating into a conversation that's already happening, that, that God is initiating. It's like you're talking back to God or you're not talking back to God. So when someone talks to you, let's say you're trying to avoid somebody, okay? Not that you'd ever do this, but let's say you're trying to avoid someone at church. You would never do that, right? But if, you, yeah, if you're trying to avoid someone at church and as you're walking, they say, hey, PJ. Yes? What, what ha- when they say, hey, PJ, what happens? All of a sudden, they have started a what? Conversation. And what that, what that hey, PJ does is that puts pressure on me to what? To answer, to respond. That's what conversation does. You say something, and as you say something to someone, your words and communication puts pressure on them to speak back, or they could say, hey, PJ, how are you doing? And I could just keep walking, right? Not even look. And, and ignore the pressure and deflect the pressure. The point is, but the pressure still came, right? The pressure comes no matter what when someone initiates conversation. Here's my point. God puts pressure on you to respond to him. That's what he does. He speaks to you, and he puts you in situations that cause you to either respond to the pressure and talk back to him, or just be like, I'm not listening to you, and just keep walking. But either way, God is already starting the conversation by putting pressure on you. So Matthew 26, 38, here's Jesus where, where the Father puts pressure on the Son. He's about to go to the cross. And so you know what he says in Matthew 26, 38? He says to his disciples, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going on a little farther, he fell face down and prayed. When Jesus felt the pressure of the Father conversing with him and putting pressure on him through the circumstances, how did Jesus respond? By what? Praying. That's what you do. You have a tough tough situation. You have God prompting a conversation with you. You either talk back or you ignore him. Or when Jesus sees a demon-possessed person when he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and they say, we can't cast the demon out. What do we do? And Jesus says, this only comes about by prayer. What is he saying? That when you have pressure because someone wants you to help them with their child who's demon-possessed, what do you need to do? You feel pressure, you feel need. God is initiating a conversation with you. He's saying, you need me here. You need me here. And so what do you do? You either ignore God or you pray. The disciples didn't pray. They just thought they could get the demon out by themselves. And when Jesus comes down from the mountain, he says, this kind of demon, because you guys were able to cast out some demons, but this one, this one, you need prayer. There's pressure to pray. Or when Jesus went to the fig tree to look for figs and he cursed the fig tree so that it wouldn't bear fruit. And then the disciples asked the next day, what happened? And Jesus gives a lesson on prayer. He basically, basically says, when, you, when you're counting a situation, pray. What is God doing? He's pressuring you. He's putting pressure through communicating with you, talking to you through providence, through the cir- circumstances and trials of life so that you would talk back to him, so that you would participate in the conversation that our triune God has already started in his word and grace. So pray through the trials that God is prompting you to pray or to pray in. So not only spontaneous, <clears throat> but also scheduled. Um, look at Daniel chapter 6. Go back to the, go to the left in your Bible, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Daniel 6, verse 10. Keep your finger in Matthew. That's part of where we're going to be. But Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says this. So there was a law that was passed that you can't pray to God in Babylon. 
because they wanted to set Daniel up. And so you know what Daniel does? So now it's illegal to pray. Daniel would always pray, opening his window and praying towards Jerusalem, praying towards the temple. We talked about why you pray towards the temple in the past. Daniel 6, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed into law, is he going to pray or is he not? He went into his house. The windows in it, in its upstairs room, opened toward Jerusalem. And what? Three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. How often does Daniel pray? Three times a day. He has a, he has a schedule. He has a structure to his life. He's not only praying willy-nilly, spontaneously, that's good, but he also has a structured time of prayer. Just like you have a structured time of eating your meals. You're not against eating your meals at a structured, scheduled time. Sometimes you have to, especially if you're at work. You have a, you have a lunch break. And so you can't just eat whenever you want. You have to eat within a certain time. You schedule the things that are important to you. Well, what's important to Daniel? Prayer, talking to God, participating in the conversation that the triune God has started. And so he, he sets three times a day. He's going to open his window toward Jerusalem to pray and talk back to God with whatever the conversation is at that point in the day. And so, brothers and sisters, I encourage you as well to pray like Daniel. Pray at scheduled times. Pray in the morning and pray in the evening. Even during your lunch break, have a short three-minute time where you're just going to pray before. You know, we always pray for, well, often, many of you pray before you eat. Maybe have a, have a little bit more time. Have an extended prayer time before you eat your lunch where you pray for a few other things that are on your mind that day and participate in the conversation God is having with you up to that point. So we pray personally. But not only are we to pray personally, we're also, to, we're also supposed to pray corporately. And when I say corporately, I have three ways in mind here. Pray for others, pray with others, and pray as a church. So pray corporately for others. Ephesians 6 and 18 says intercession for all the saints. What does that mean? What is intercession? Intercession is playing, playing the middleman. Here's the need of one of the people you love. Here's God. Here you are in the middle. I'm going to pray for this person to God. I'm going to intercede on your behalf and pray for you. That's what prayer is. So pray corporately. Pray for other people. Pray for other church members. Commit to praying for every member of this church this week. Here's a prayer challenge. This this says the Lord, you're not sinning if you don't do this. It does say pray for one another. So pray for each other regularly. But here's a challenge for you. Why don't you take this next week, your first... Is this your first full week? No, I guess you just finished your first full week. Your second full week of 2018, why don't you take it and this one week pray for every single member of our church, every single active member of our church, not the 600 or 700 left on the list, but the, the, the pray for the 67 active members of our church right now. You have it on the email if you're a member of this church. You can see it right there on the email list. Why don't you and your spouse or you and your family members or you and a friend or just even set up an accountability partner here as a single person to say, hey, let's text each other every day to make sure we pray for the church this week. So take the prayer challenge. You don't have to, but I would encourage you, take the prayer challenge this week. Pray for every single member. And then next week, when you see them on Sunday, let them know you prayed for them this week. Stretch yourself, though. Whether you're going to take that challenge or not, stretch yourself and challenge yourself. If you don't hit a goal, say, I'm going to pray for every member this week or this month. I'm going to pray for every single member of our church. And you don't hit the goal, but you only get 75% of the goal. A lot of times people would say, man, that's a fail. Or 50%. Man, you only prayed for half the members. But you prayed for half the members. If you don't have any goal and you don't pray for members ever, you don't pray for each other, well, now you're not praying for anyone. So why not have a goal? And if you fall short of it, praise God for what you did accomplish, right? We're a family. Don't you pray for your family? 
Pray for those you love. We should be praying for each other. So don't only pray for others, but also pray with others. Don't just pray for people, but pray with people. Share your burdens. If you're going to pray with others, let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, look up here for a second, just BBC culture-shaping moment here, a conversation. Don't start to pray with others by saying, um, tell me your deepest, darkest burden so I can pray for you. That's not a good way to cultivate a spirit of you know, sharing in this church. You know how you cultivate a spirit of sharing in this church? You share your burden first. If you want to take your relationship with anyone deeper in the church, you take the first step in going deeper. That's how it works. No one, no one wants to risk opening up themselves to vulnerability when the person they're talking to is not risking their own vulnerability, right? So, share your, so if you're going to pray with others, here's the first thing. Pray by you sharing your burden first. Then ask them for their burden. And don't be mad if, they're, if, if you go like level five deep in your burden and they go like level one, right? You're like, yeah, pray for me. I'm having really, um, I'm, I'm struggling with a sin in my life and this temptation keeps coming this way and I, I've given in three times in the last week. Just pray for me because it's embarrassing and you're, you're sharing it. And they're like, how can I pray for you? And they're like, oh, I got a hangnail. You can just pray like there's this one painful, painful one. Not, not this non-painful, this painful one right here. This is the one I want you to pray for. And you're like, oh, so don't, don't, don't be bitter towards them for that. Just pray for their hangnail and pray that God would grow them and sanctify them in the Lord and, and, and trust that over time you keep praying for each other that the relationships will deepen. Don't expect um, mutually vulnerable relationships as you share burdens with each other. But pray for each other. Pray for each other's burdens. So, so share your burden, ask them for their burden, and then pray for them and then find other ways to help them besides praying for them. Don't look at it as prayer is just the only thing to do, though it is the most important thing to do. Jesus asked for prayer. Did you know that? Jesus asked for prayer in Matthew 26, also in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said to his disciples, right before he's going to go to the cross the next day, he said, they, um, Matthew 26, 40 and 41 says this. Then he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray. Stay awake and pray. You know, so, so Jesus wanted prayer for his own soul. He was saying, I'm deeply grieved. He wanted them to pray for their own souls as well so that you don't enter into temptation. But Jesus asked for prayer. He shared his burdens. So pray for others, pray with others. And then um, the last application here for praying corporately is pray as a church. Did you know, church member, BBC church family member, did you know that our Sunday night gathering is the second most important gathering of our church's life together? If this church is going to grow, if we are going to fulfill God's plan for us in helping others follow Jesus, it is going to come by God's grace, not our power. Did you know that? And so prayer, so Sunday morning, the main focus here is the word. So we spend the most time preaching the word this morning. But Sunday nights, we pray for each other and we pray for the church. That's the second most important meeting in our church's life. It's more important than business meetings. It's more important than Wednesday morning. It's more important than Wednesday night. It's more important than Sunday school. It's more important than every other meeting in our church besides this, this meeting right here. So I'm your pastor, for those of you who are members here. So I can say some straightforward things to you, right? As your pastor, I can do that. Um, now, I'm not targeting any one or two of you, but the majority of you, so don't be too hurt like I'm aiming at you, okay? But some of you have made it a habit to not come on Sunday nights. That's your default. Your default is to not come on Sunday night. You might have the rare hiccup where you do come on a Sunday night, 
But the default is, I don't think about coming on Sunday night. It's not a commitment of mine. That ought not to be your default. But a serious consideration and a strategic decision. If you decide not to come on Sunday nights, make it a serious consideration and a strategic decision. I am not coming on Sunday night because God wants me to and fill in the blank. Not, I'm not coming on Sunday night because, I, because it's not convenient for me. If it's a self-centered, selfish reason, you're not doing yourself any favors and you're not really helping advance the church or the kingdom by, by, by merely capitulating to your own convenience and the culture's way of thinking about what a typical weekend looks like. We are Christians and we're shaped by the Lord and what he has for us even on the Lord's day in this church. So I, I want you to, to not make missing Sunday nights your default. I want, you to, I want you to strategically miss Sunday nights. I want it to be a great commission. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness reason for missing Sunday nights. It's okay to miss Sunday nights, okay? I'm not saying don't miss it. I just want you to do it for the glory of God, not for your own personal preference and convenience. That does no one any good in this church. I don't mind if you, um, again, I don't mind if you give it up. Just make it strategic. And if you miss... Um, Here's another thing. If you miss Sunday morning, sometimes you guys can't make it on Sunday morning for whatever reason. Do you ever consider coming on Sunday evening? So you couldn't make it Sunday morning. You were not feeling well. But what if you're feeling better in the middle of the day? Well, I don't come on Sunday night, so I never thought about it. Well, think about it. Think about it. If you miss a Sunday morning, it's not like you can't come on Sunday night. It's like, well, I don't come on Sunday night, so that's why I don't. Well, you miss Sunday morning. Get a chance to still fellowship with the body of Christ. You know, sisters like Kim Salazar has made, you know, she, she's working, I guess, for the next two years. Marcelino's wife, she's working for the next two years on Sunday mornings. So she's here every Sunday night. She's dead tired. She comes after work to church on Sunday night to pray with the people of God. And that's good. That's faithfulness as a member. So pray corporately. Pray as a church. Pray with the church. Some application here before we go to our third point. If you're retired, retiree, let me address you. Are your best days behind you in ministry? Is your, is your previous ministry of children's ministry or teaching as important as your prayer ministry? I mean, just think about prayer. Asking you'll receive, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open to you. Is prayer powerful? Is prayer, does prayer help the cause of the Great Commission in this world? Yes. You have an opportunity, if you're not working, if you're retired, you have an opportunity with more time to have more prayer and cause more fruit than you could accomplish in a thousand hours of ministry activity. One hour of prayer, ten minutes of prayer can do more than a thousand hours of your ministry, your best ministry. So you're not sidelined by being retired or even having bad health where you can't come to a function. That's okay. But you could pray. And even for some of us, I understand even mentally sometimes, you know, having a hard time concentrating. But as best we can, we can still spend our time praying. If you're not a Christian, let me tell you this. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, God can hear you speak to him. God can hear you when you pray to him. You probably have prayed at some point in your life to someone out there, to something. You really will do well to understand this next point as we talk about why we should pray. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to show you the opportunity you have before you today um, to pray to God and have a basis for prayer. But let me say one more thing to our church family. If you're discouraged or weak, are you feeling weak spiritually or discouraged spiritually? I would venture to say on any given Sunday, 
over 50% of the members are feeling spiritually weak and discouraged. That's just going to be my default. Okay? So don't feel weird like, man, I'm the only one who's struggling this week. I'm the only one discouraged. I'm the only one feeling weak this week. You're probably at least in the majority on, a, on any given Sunday. So I say that to encourage you. Are you feeling weak? Some of you are in that season of discouragement or weakness. You're not weird. That's just normal in this broken world. But here's what I want to encourage you with. Have others pray for you. Sometimes you're too weak to pray, but others can pray for you, right? Have others pray for you and have others pray with you. It's not a sign of, of weakness or um, uselessness to, to come to church my, primarily for people to pray for you. That's okay. That's what we're here for. So come and share your prayer request. Share it with me at the door on your way out or share with another member of this church how they can pray for you. All right, let's go to this last one now. So that's what is prayer. Prayer is participating in a conversation that the triune God has started. How should we pray? We should pray personally. That means spontaneously and scheduled. And we should pray corporately for others, with others, and as a church. Why should we pray? Lastly, why should we pray? Quite simply, because the Father calls you to pray, the Son enables you to pray, and the Spirit helps you to pray. Three passages, which could be three sermons, but let's just do this briefly. We're not going to go too deep into passages, but let's go Matthew 7. You guys are there, I think? Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Why should we pray? Here we get three reasons from Matthew 7, 7 through 11. The Father calls you to pray. Verse 7, the call is a command. We're commanded to pray. The, the Father through the Son commands us to pray. Ask and it will be given to you. That's a command. Keep asking. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. There's the command. To continually ask. To perpetually ask and seek and knock. Notice you're participating in an ongoing conversation. It's not speak one time in the conversation and never speak again. It's continually ask. Continually talk. Continually participate in the conversation. But that's a command. So that's one reason why you should pray, because you're commanded to. A second reason here is because God responds to you. I already told you, verse 8 says, for. Here's the reason why. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open to you. So God responds and answers your prayer. That's a second reason why you should pray um, in, in this passage, because um, God responds. He answers your prayer. And then verses 9 through 11, a third reason why you should pray is because God is good to you in prayer, or you experience God's goodness as you pray. Look at verse 9. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If, the, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, one of the things that my daughter read. Our, our baby, one of the things that she's really into right now for breakfast is milkshakes. Well, not really, yeah, milkshakes, but there's all kinds of health, healthy stuff in there, kale and spinach and chia seeds and other stuff like that. So, but she's really into, into milkshakes. And so every morning she'll ask for her shake. She'll ask for a shake. Now, um, when she asks me for a shake, I don't put a bunch of Raid, you know, the poison spray, into her little cup and then give it to her as a joke. I don't do that. Why? Because I'm her dad, right? And I care about her. And here's what Jesus is saying. PJ, if you are evil and you don't do that to your children, how much more God, who's never evil, in him is light and there's no darkness at all, First John 1, 5, 
How much more will God, your Father in heaven, give good things to you? If you're going to give your child a shake, even though you're a sinner and you're evil and you're selfish, PJ, and you don't give your daughter a glass of Raid to drink when she asks for a shake, how much more will God in heaven, who's good and loving and kind, give you good gifts when you ask him? So guess what? When you pray, you get a chance to experience the goodness of God. That's the reason to pray. Because God is good, and he will always do good to you. He will only do good to you. He works your bad together for good. He never takes your good away from you, and the best is yet to come. And so God is good no matter which way you look at it. And you will experience it when you pray. Part of it is because when you pray, you're opening up your heart to be more sensitive to his goodness. Because God is constantly good, but our prayer actually opens us up to it. So why should we pray at least from this passage? Because he commands you, because he responds to you, because you experience his goodness. If you don't pray, just, let me just give you the opposite. If you don't pray according to Matthew 7, you're going to sin against God. You're not going to have your needs met and you will miss out on experiencing his goodness when you miss your opportunities to pray, when you pass up your opportunities to pray. That's the father calls you. Let's go to the next point here. So the Father calls you to pray. Secondly, here, letter B, the Son enables you to pray. Why should you pray? Because the Son enables you to pray. Go to John 14. So we're done with Matthew for this morning. Turn to John chapter 14. John 14, verse 12. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do greater, even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Notice here in John 14, verse 12, Jesus is promising this to the one who what? In verse 12. Who's he going to respond to? The one who what? Believes in him. Now, if you believe in Jesus, what does that mean in, in the book of John? John 20, verses 30 and 31 says, um, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you might have what? Life in his name. So if you believe in Jesus, if you truly believe in Jesus, you are saved. You have everlasting life. You are actually united with him. That's why it says in John 15, verse, verse 1, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch that is what? Every branch in me that doesn't produce fruit, he removes and prunes. So there are branches in him. So verse four, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. So what do we learn here about prayer? Here, what's the first reason here to pray? If Jesus is the vine, you're the branches and the branches are where? In the vine, right? They're on the vine and they are remaining in the vine. They're connected to the vine. In other words, the branches and the vine are united, Right? There's this doctrine called the union with Christ or union in Christ. Christians are described as those who are in Christ. The first reason here then why we should pray is because Jesus unites us with himself. He, he unites you to himself. You're the branch. He's the vine. He unites you to himself, and you do that through faith. You actually become one with Christ. And like I said, from John chapter 20, those who believe in him have everlasting what? Life. So here we have... The key to the gospel. This is why we pray. It says in John 14, next it says pray in Jesus' name. Why in his name? That's united to him. Because when we pray in Christ's name, are we accepted before God? 
or rejected before God? Accepted. Now, are we, are we sinless on our own? Yes or no? Are we sinless on our own? No, we're not, right? We're sinners. Are we worthy to come to God on our own as sinners? No, we are not worthy, even though we're made in God's image. But who is worthy? Christ is. And when Christ unites us to him, we are now able to come to God as his children. And he hears us because we're united to Christ. If we're not united to Christ, there is no acceptance before God. And so the first reason why we should pray from John 14 is because Jesus unites us to himself so that one, we can pray to God and two, we have everlasting life with God. Okay? So let's pray because we're united to Christ. If you're not a Christian here, let me just say this briefly. If you're not a Christian here, here's the opportunity and invitation to you. If you're not a Christian, you're not united to Christ yet. The way you are united to Christ is by becoming a Christian. And how does one become a Christian? Not by reading your Bible, not by going to church, not by giving money to church. How do you become a Christian? How do you become united to Christ? By faith in Jesus and repentance from sin. Why faith in Jesus? Because Jesus Christ is the son of God who came to earth to die for our sins and he rose from the dead. There is no other substitute for your sins. Jesus is the only one who took your penalty for your sins and lived the life that you should have lived. So that's why we need to trust in Jesus and turn from our sins. Now, why are our sins such a big deal? Because God is holy, God is righteous, and God is just. That means God will punish us for our sins. We are sinners who deserve hell. Every single one of you deserves hell, including me. We all deserve to go to hell because we are sinners. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died for sinners. So that if we turn from our sins and trust in Jesus, we are now united to Jesus. And in being united to Jesus, we have everlasting life. So if you're not a Christian, here's the invitation to you. Repent from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. By trusting in Christ, you will unite yourself to Christ or Christ will unite himself to you and you will have everlasting life. Okay, and so that's why we should pray because we're united to Christ. And not only that, we also learned secondly here in verse 14, if you ask anything in whose name? In Christ's name, he will do it. So the second reason we should pray is because Jesus gives us his name. He lets us pray in his name. His credit is good for it. His, his standing is good for it. So if we pray in his name, we're accepted before God. Uh, another reason why we should pray, look at verse 4, chapter 15, verse 4. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit unless it, unless, by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. So the third reason why we should pray is because Christ remains in us. So we depend on him. We remain in Christ. Christ remains in us. We're abiding in him. We're connected to him. So because of that, we are now able, able to pray. Because we are not, the power for us to grow fruit is not in us. It's in Christ, right? He's the vine. We have to depend on Jesus. We have to remain in Jesus. Here's what Michael Reeves says. If God was a single independent person, not a trinity, independence would be a godly thing. We celebrate independence in, 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 um, in our culture, Right? It's good to be independent. Stop being a drag on other people. Stop being so needy. Stop having other people help you all the time. Stand up for yourself. That's celebrating our culture. But what Michael Reeves is saying is um, that, would, that would be a godly thing if God were independent himself. That would be how to be like God. But 
as the son always depends on the father, that is the nature of Christian godliness. Being a Christian is first and foremost about all about receiving, asking, and depending. It's when you don't feel needy, and so when you don't pray much, that you lose your grip on reality and think or act in an unchristian manner. In fact, as you grow as a Christian, you shouldn't feel not more self-sufficient, but ever more needy. If you don't, I'm not sure you're growing spiritually. If you really feel your need to depend on God, though, prayer will simply flow from this. Continuing the quote, prayer then is enjoying the care of a powerful father instead of being left to a frightening loneliness where everything is all down to you. Prayer is the antithesis of self-dependence. It is our no to independence and our no to personal ambition. It is the exercise of faith that you need God and are a needy receiver. With this in mind, instead of chasing the idol of our own productivity, let's be dependent children and let the busyness that could keep us from prayer drive us to prayer. That's the pressure, right? So let me just interrupt the quote here. That's the pressure. As you're busy, God is saying, hey, PJ, I'm too busy. I can't talk to you right now because I'm so busy. I'm going to ignore the pressure. But he's saying, instead of letting your busyness keep you from prayer, let it drive you to prayer. Only then, like the sun, can we actually be fruitful by remaining on the vine. Look at chapter 15, verse 7 now. 15, verse 7. Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, what's the command? Ask. Ask whatever you want, it will be be done for you. Why? Because um, we remain in Christ and his words what? Remain in us. In other words, Christ is speaking to us. If you let the word of God and the words of Christ remain in you, that's how you, that's how you pray. Prayer is the conversation. Christ's words are remaining in you. He's speaking to you, and you are now asking back. So Michael Reeves writes again. This is all from the book, by the way, Enjoy Your Prayer Life. I recommend it to you. I ordered some copies for our book stall that we're going to have in the back, but um, it's not here yet. But here's what it says. Here's what Michael Reeves says. It is the word of God, the gracious message of Christ, that awakens faith and so prayer. And so that must be the basic shape of our everyday communion with God. We need to set Christ before ourselves. That is, we hear the word of Christ in Scripture, in song, through each other, and by reminding ourselves as we praise Him. That's what we did here in the service, right? We're praying, we're singing, we're praising Him. We should long that our eyes might be open to see the beauty of the Lord and that we might be drawn afresh to want Him. And then prayer is simply the articulation of our heart's response. So really, the the worship service, the Sunday morning gathering, is really a prayer service. Because what are we doing? God is conversing with us. And we're conversing with him through prayer, through praise, through preaching, through communion, through, through scripture reading. There's a conversation going on here in the family. And so Jesus enables us to, um, to pray through these ways. And it says in verse 8, he enables us to produce much fruit. So if you don't pray, you're going to disregard his work. You'll disregard his words. You'll disconnect yourself experientially from him, and you won't produce fruit for God's glory. And then lastly here... So the Father calls you to pray, the Son enables you to pray. And lastly here, from Romans 8, 26 to 27, the Spirit helps you pray. Look at Romans 8, 26 and 27. Romans 8, 26 and 27. The Spirit helps you. Two reasons the Spirit helps you, or two ways the Spirit helps you, or two reasons here to pray from here. Uh, Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit also does what in our weakness? Helps us. So there's the first reason why we should pray. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
because we do not know what to what? What to pray. So let's talk about prayer. We don't know what to pray for as we should. And so who's helping us while we're praying? The Spirit. He helps us. The Spirit, him, okay, so the Spirit helps us because we don't know how to pray for as we ought. He helps us, and how does he help us in verse 26? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. So the Spirit helps us with, in unspoken groanings. He helps us in our weakness. He knows that we're weak. Michael Reeves writes again, the Spirit knows that we're weak, that we struggle to pray, and that we often don't know what to pray, and his desire is to help us. And then he says this, listen. Since the Spirit knows our weakness, we can, we can be real with our Father, accepting how babyish we are in our faith, and simply stammer out what's on our hearts. Now, sometimes people say to me, and this is more than one, this is actually many people, um, I've heard this over the years, you know, I don't know how to pray like like other Christians. I don't know what to say. I don't sound as theologically astute as some of you when you pray. But here's what he's saying. Here's what Romans 8 is, telling, is teaching us. Except, like, prayer means being real with the Father, accepting how babyish we are in our faith, and simply stammer out what's on our hearts. In fact, that's just the way to grow in our relationship with God. True intimacy is an acquired thing, something that develops, but it only develops with honesty. So if you pretend to pray like someone else, you're not really being honest, right? And you're not going to grow deeper with God. So he continues, if your prayer life is a bit ropey, I suggest starting again by stammering like a child to a father. Cry for help. Don't try to be impressive. Don't try to impress God. Don't try to impress people when you pray. (laughs) That's missing the point. Who cares what people think? You're talking to your father in heaven. We're talking to our father in heaven. Stammer out what you got. It's okay to be babyish. The Holy Spirit says here, he helps us in our weakness. You're not strong when you pray. You're weak. I'm weak. And we're babyish. And so we just come to God. That's the first reason. Second, so he helps us in our weakness. He knows our weakness. And then not only does he know our weakness, but it says in verse 27 as well, or 26, that he intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. And he who searches, the, knows, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He intercedes. So who's praying for you when you're praying? The Holy Spirit is praying for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. We're crying out, Abba, Father, and the Spirit is praying for you. You know that in, in Hebrews 7.25, it also says that Jesus intercedes for us. So who's praying for you in Hebrews 7? Jesus is praying for you. Who's praying for you in Romans 8? The Spirit is praying for you. Here's, here's what um, Michael Reeves says. It. Prayer then is not actually, now I love this. This is actually what kind of just exploded my mind when I read this last year. Prayer then is not actually a one-way conversation, us to God. No, here it is. In prayer, God speaks through us to God. Get that? God, God the Son speaks to the Father through us and intercedes for us. And who else is interceding for us? The Holy Spirit. He's interceding for us. So here's the conversation. The conversation is not just God saying, hey, PJ. The conversation is the Holy Spirit, Son and Father, conversing and praying for me already. And then I'm jumping into that conversation as I'm praying with them. As I prayed for the church family this morning, as we're praying a prayer of confession, I'm realizing as John Lee is here praying and leading us in prayer, that John Lee is leading us into a conversation because the Holy Spirit's already convicting us of sin. And the Son is already praying for our forgiveness. 
and praying for our repentance and praying for our growth. And so John Lee is now leading our church to join a Trinitarian conversation that's already going on. That's what prayer is. It's participating in a conversation that God, that the triune God has started in his word and grace. Where Johnny come lately is onto the scene. They're already talking. They're already conversing. And we get to participate in that conversation. We get to commune with them in it. God prays or God speaks through us to God. So I'll I'll close with this illustration, then we'll just wrap it up here. Um, Francis Chan's daughter, Francis Chan's a very popular preacher, but um, his daughter was asked, what are you looking for in a husband, given the fact that you grew up in Francis Chan's house? And and, uh, she said, I only look for one thing. And the one thing is so quirky. I might have told you guys this before, but it's so good and it's so memorable. I only look for one thing in the person I want to marry. I want to know, does God answer this man's prayers? That's our only criteria. Should I marry this guy or not? I have one question. Does God answer that man's prayers? If not, I don't want to marry him. What is she saying there? That if, if, that doesn't mean you're a powerful spiritual man. It means that this person is a child. They know how to depend on the father. They understand that they participate in or that they have a conversation with God and that God responds to them in prayer. And and that's what John 15 is saying. Jesus says, if you ask in my name, I will do it. That that shows that someone's... So if someone is is praying to God and their prayers are being answered, that doesn't mean all the time. It doesn't mean God never says no to you. But if God doesn't answer any of your prayers, you have to ask the question, am I abiding in Christ? Is God really my father? And am I really, is the Holy Spirit really interceding for me? Or is he not? And so um, we learn that normal Christian prayer is, this is what Michael Reeves says again, normal Christian prayer is something far richer and juicier. I like that he uses that word in a book. Prayer is something richer and juicier. We join in with the fellowship of God as the Father, Son, and Spirit are already enjoying it. They're just enjoying each other. And then we get to join in the fellowship. That's the core of prayer. So the closing exhortation here is go to the Father because he calls you. Go in the name of the Son because he enables you. And go in the power of the Holy Spirit because he helps you. So let's understand the what. What is prayer? Participating in the conversation with the triune God that he started through his word and grace. We should pray personally, structured and spontaneous. And we should pray corporately, for others, with others, and as a church. And we should pray because the Father calls us, the Son enables us, and the Spirit helps us. Here's my final call to you. It's a call to action. Pause frequently and participate joyfully. Pause frequently. What do I mean by that? I would say pause at least two or three times a day for the next seven days and just listen to God. Because remember, he's starting the conversation, right? So you just pause and just think, what is the Lord saying to me? Through his word and through the providential experience um, situation I'm in, just pause and don't even pray right away. Actually, this will do wonders for your prayer life. At least it's helping me in my prayer life. Don't pray right away when you're about to pray. Just pause and just listen to what God is telling you through his word and through the situation. Realize that don't interrupt the conversation. Get into it by listening first. Pause frequently 
and then participate joyfully. Realize that he's inviting you into the conversation and then jump into the conversation and, and get there. If you, if, you, if you don't reach some of your New Year's goals, they're not going to be a big deal this year. If you don't set a world record this year, it's not going to be a big deal. But it is an infinitely big deal whether you increasingly participate in your conversations with God or not. That is a big deal, not only for you, but for those around you, for us, for our church. So brothers and sisters, if you do, if you don't, you'll dishonor God and ignore his word and you'll miss out on experiencing communion with God. But if you pray, if you participate in this conversation, you'll grow in your love for God and your joy in God, you'll bear fruit and you'll bless others. Let's pray. Father, you are communing above. You're communing around us with the Son and the Spirit and you're calling us into your communion and fellowship. So help us to get in there. Help us to not ignore you when you're prompting us to pray, but rather, Father, help us to pause, to pause frequently, to pause and listen, and then to participate joyfully in the conversation. Even now, Lord, as we're praying, we pray because we pray at the end of every sermon, and yet even now, as I'm leading all of us in praying, your Holy Spirit is praying for us because our prayers are weak. Your Son is praying for us to save us to the end. And you, Father, are speaking to us even through your word and through each other with your word. So, Father, thank you for letting us be part of this conversation and commune with you together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.